My message today is you are called by the king. You are called by the king. Look at your neighbor, point to them and say, you are called by the king. Did you know that each one of us here are called by the king? And I want to talk to you this morning about God's calling on our lives. Every person in this room is called by the Lord to do something. You were masterfully designed by God to fulfill God's purpose on this earth. And there's a joy and a contentment that comes when you're fulfilling God's purpose in your life and you're walking with God in obedience to what He wants you to do. And on the other hand, there's frustration that can come when that's not happening. And God's put a variety of different gifts in, it, in us and the fulfillment of God's call in your life and in my life are not going to look exactly the same. The fulfillment of God's purpose in your life won't look like the person sitting next to you necessarily. God has given every person unique giftings and talents and abilities. And you're called to the particular assignment and purpose that only you are qualified for. And that makes you very special in your relationship with the Lord. Because He created you with very special gifts for a special purpose. That should make us feel humbled. Our fingerprints are different. Our DNA is different. Our voices sound different. And our physical appearance is different. Now that's amazing to me when you think of the billions of people created. We're all different. That's God's handiwork. I mean, we're all created as humans with, you know, two legs and two arms, and, but our fingerprints are different. Our hair is different. Our facial expressions are different. It's amazing. Our teeth are even different. Mm. How does God do it? It's amazing. Different gifts, different personalities, different abilities, all for the glory of God. What has God called you to do? And how will you respond to His plan for your life? Follow with me here as we read today. The portion of Scripture we're looking at is Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading out of the New King James it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand, in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. Amen. Before we discuss this passage and how it relates to our lives this morning, let's take a little look into the context of this passage out of Isaiah. It's always important to do when you're looking at verses to see what the context was, what was happening in the person's life that wrote this particular scripture and what was going on in their life. Isaiah said, in the very opening portion, verse 1, this all happened 
in the year that King Uzziah died. And that's significant now. We're going to talk about that. What is significant about the fact that this happened during the year that King Uzziah died? Who was King Uzziah and how did his death position Isaiah to receive this revelation? Uzziah was a godly man and a successful king. King Uzziah began reigning when he was only 16 years of age, and he ruled for 52 years. The Bible tells us that he led Judah to victory over the enemies who had dominated them for years. He fortified the defenses of the nation, and he led God's people into a wonderful time of prosperity. 2 Chronicles 26.4 summarizes King Uzziah's life in this way. It says, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Isaiah had grown up under the shadow of a powerful leader. King Uzziah had a special relationship with Isaiah. He was more than a friend. He was also a mentor and a protector of Isaiah. And the death of King Uzziah shook Isaiah's life. Isaiah lost someone that he deeply respected and loved. But that wasn't all of the story. The way that Uzziah died is the most disturbing part of it all. This king had been a godly leader for many, many years. But what do you do when someone you've looked up to and admired over the years fails miserably? What do you do when a person that you've come to respect and count on turns away from the path and greatly disappoints you? And that's exactly what happened to King Uzziah. God had mightily blessed Uzziah during his reign as a king. However, he became prideful in his last few years of life. And God had directed and set it up so that the office of the king and the office of the priest were to remain separate. They were to be kept strictly separate. The joining of those two offices of king and priest together was reserved only for the king of kings, our Messiah. King Uzziah took it upon himself to step out of his calling and to place himself in a position that God had not called him to. He decided to also act as a priest. And he went into the temple to burn incense. And the priests of the time were horrified, but they couldn't stop him. Uzziah was so prideful, he thought nothing could stop him from doing what he wanted to do. However, he was suddenly struck with leprosy. And that leprosy killed him. It was always a cause of great concern when a king of a nation died. It caused turmoil and distress. And the entire nation of Judah was in shock that their godly leader had died under this direct judgment of the Lord. It left the nation of Israel wondering what was next and what would happen to the nation from here on. And that's the context of Isaiah 6. It's a time of desperation. It's a time of turmoil. It's a time of personal grief and disappointment. Have you ever had someone that you looked up to and that you honored disappoint you? What do you do when people that you relied upon prove unreliable? You do what Isaiah did here. You look to the Lord in prayer. Here we see Isaiah at the temple. And suddenly God pulls back the curtain of heaven and reveals what's going on in heaven at that point in time. So now that we've looked into the context of the passage, I want to consider four points out of this passage we read today. The first one is comfort. This experience brought a great comfort to Isaiah. Number two, concern. This experience gave Isaiah great concern about his own spiritual condition. Number three, the call of God. Isaiah had to make a decision concerning the call of God on his life. And the fourth one is choice. The choice we will see is made by Isaiah to say yes to the Lord. Number one, comfort. This experience brought great comfort to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 again, I'll read it again. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. God is saying, All is well, Isaiah. 
The one who is really in charge sits on the throne. We have to understand the context of this vision. We can easily miss the comfort that God's giving Isaiah through this revelation. Yes, the great king of Judah, King Uzziah, has fallen. He's gone. But the nation is experiencing a turbulent time. But when all is said and done, the Lord is still on the throne. He's high and lifted up. The glory of his robe flows throughout the temple. It's a scene of indescribable glory and majesty. And this is where the real security of Israel is found. The almighty God who rules not only Israel, but the whole earth. And he's still our security, isn't he? Doesn't matter which president is in charge or thinks he's in charge. We look to God. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. He is God and there is no other. Men may fail, great men may fail, but the King of Kings continues to rule. The kingdom of God stands firm and his will is ultimately going to be done. So then we see in verse 3, the angels are speaking now. Isaiah 6, 3. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled of his glory. So the cry of heaven is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The angels are stating here that God is the Lord of hosts. He's the commander of the armies of heaven. He's surrounded by mighty angels that do his bidding. Those seraphim are mighty angels and they declare the glory and majesty of our Lord. Seraphim is the plural of seraph and the root meaning of seraph is fire. So these angels are ablaze with fire. They worship God with zeal as they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. So here we see that Isaiah is having a supernatural vision. He sees all this happening in heaven. He's looking into the temple of heaven where God dwells. But now something interesting happens as we read on. The glory of God actually comes down where Isaiah is. We see God's presence come rushing into the temple where Isaiah is praying. Isn't that a good feeling when you go to the Lord in prayer and then you feel that anointing, that presence? That's what Isaiah was feeling. Verse 4 tells us, describes us what that is. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. God's tangible presence came down where Isaiah was. The temple was filled with the glory of God. You know, true worship is birthed out of a revelation of who God is. True worship is not just a matter of having the best band or the latest songs or the right rhythm. Now, those are all important and they bring us and they usher us into the presence of God. But really, true worship is a matter of seeing him. One glimpse of Jesus and you will worship, not just because someone gave you the right atmosphere, but because of the revelation of his love and his power, his grace and his glory. And it breaks forth in worship from your heart. True worshipers worship from the Spirit. So there's a great message of comfort in this vision for Isaiah. There's also a dramatic concern that breaks out of his heart as well. And number two, the concern is this. The experience that Isaiah went through right then gave him grave concern about his own spiritual condition. And when the holy presence of God comes... Isaiah quickly became aware of his human frailty. And we see this in verse 5. Isaiah 6, 5 said, or says, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. And what he's really saying here is, I have sinned. In Luke 6, 45, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So unclean lips are a manifestation of an unclean heart. What's in us will come out. And by human standards, we assume that Isaiah was a very godly priest. But the truth is this, as we get closer to God, the more sensitive we are to anything that's contrary to his nature. God's sensitive people are people that desire to live a righteous lifestyle. You know, I used to wonder why people that respond to an altar call so many times are the faithful, godly, um, just the, the bedrock of the church, the ones that are there every time the doors open and the ones that are serving and doing their best. And why are they the ones so many times that come forth for repentance during an altar call? And it was a little bit puzzling to me. But as I thought about it, over the years I've become able to realize something. The people who are most committed are usually the ones that are most sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They have very tender hearts. They're sensitive to what God wants to do in their lives. And as I look at my own life over 55 years of being a Christian, during those seasons when I was seeking God more, I was more sensitive to Him, I would find myself asking for forgiveness more quickly for minor infractions. A slip of the tongue would immediately result in conviction and repentance. Getting upset at someone that cut me off in traffic was not acceptable anymore. The little things. So here Isaiah is in the manifest presence of the Lord. And with his increased awareness of God's presence came an increased awareness of sin in his life. Our prayer should be that God would increase our awareness of him. Increase your awareness in my life, Lord. Help me to be closer to you. That we'd be a people not living under condemnation, but very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit and anything that would grieve the Spirit. How many of you would say with me, Pastor Doug, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit? No. We want him happy with us. So how do we deal with this disparity? How can we reconcile our own shortcomings with the coming into the presence of a holy God? And here's the good news. The answer is right in this text that we read today. The answer is the provision that God made for us at Calvary. Isaiah 6, 6 says this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Hallelujah. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. That's the altar where the blood sacrifices were offered to God for the atonement of sin. God has his own answer for our sin. He did not tell Isaiah to go and try harder to do better. That's the kind of answer we as humans would come up with. But the truth is we can't atone for our own sin. God's answer is to cleanse the sin by the provision of the sacrificial offering of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done for us, we can walk clean and free from sin. Now, verse 7 tells us, The angel took the coal from the altar and touched Isaiah's lips, and God said to him at that point, Your iniquity is gone. Your sin is purged. That's good news. Isaiah confessed his sin. God cleansed it. The Word tells us if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen? So Isaiah was concerned about his spiritual life, and after receiving cleansing from God, he now hears the call of God on his life. Let's continue on. Number three, the call of God on his life. Isaiah had to make a decision concerning the call of God on his life. Verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. 
And that's what God's asking all of us this morning. Who is available for the task at hand? Who's willing to pay the price? Who will come to Jesus and say, here I am, send me, Lord. Before Isaiah heard this call, he was already a believer in Jehovah. So this is a call to us as believers today to get busy accomplishing things that God's given you to do. This is a call to increase our level of diligence and devotion to God's will in our lives. It's a call to follow God with everything that's within us. It's a time to discard those things that would hold us back and move forward with God's plan. It's a time for us to rethink the direction of our lives. Where are we investing our time, our talents, and our abilities that God so graciously gave us? The early church devoted themselves to the word and fellowship with one another, the breaking of bread and prayer. And I don't know who has an ear to hear this message this morning, but God is saying to someone, I believe right here in this room and also online, you're living way below my intentions for your life. God is saying you're living way below my intentions for your life. Is your life encumbered with many things that won't count for anything in eternity? It's so easy to get caught up in making money and the pursuit of pleasure. It's so easy to pour our life force into things that someday will burn up. God is saying to some of you, I've got something much better in store for you. Amen. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, not just fishers of fish. Some of you got that, some of you didn't. You got it. Follow me and your life will really count for something. I want to say something to all the young people here. Decide now to make your life count for him. Say to the Lord right now, here am I, send me. And I want to speak to the old people here like myself. Don't settle for less than your 100% commitment to God. Here I am, send me. Smith Wigglesworth was a great evangelist of the 20th century. He didn't start his ministry until he was in his 50s. At the age of 65, when most people are looking at slowing down and retiring, Harlan David Sanders began Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's not too late for you. It's never too late to step into God's plan for your life. That's the good news. We can always do a 180. We can always turn and say, you know what? I made some mistakes in the past, Lord. Maybe I didn't do everything right. Maybe I didn't use my life force to accomplish what you've called me to do. But now I choose to make that turn and I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to start serving you. And the good news is, if we repent of that, that's all gone. That's history. God forgives us. You can move on and earn and achieve what God wants you to do from here on. Every day is a new day. The rule of the kingdom is whosoever will. I want to be one of those whosoever will people. And I want you to be one of those whosoever will people. When God calls, we answer. And then number four, choice. The choice is made by Isaiah to say yes to the Lord. The last few words of verse 8 says, Then I said, Here am I, send me. And here's the interesting thing as I saw this in the scripture. Notice that Isaiah's commitment came before he even knew the assignment. God hadn't told him what he was wanting him to do. But when he asked, Isaiah just obeyed. He said, yes, here I am I, Lord, I'll do it. God hadn't told him yet. Isaiah didn't even ask what the assignment was before he volunteered. We can't really do that and call Jesus Lord. It'd be really nice to know, wouldn't it, Rachel? Yeah. Everything that God wants us to do. It'd be nice to know it in advance. 
But you know what? If he's Lord, we're just going to say, yes, Lord, use me. Even if my assignment is hard, I'd rather go to heaven someday knowing that I was doing your will. Even if it was tough ground to plow. I'd rather do it. Amen. So in the rest of the chapter, we find out that the assignment that God gave Isaiah really wasn't an easy one. Isaiah had to labor and labor, and many times the people would not listen to his message and did not heed his message. However, he continued to follow God and accomplish what God called him to do all the way to the end. None of us would like that assignment, but we don't pick the assignment. God does that. You know, I think of our pastor Hank here and called to give prophetic words to the nation and even sometimes the world. It's not an easy place to stand in. It's not an easy place to stand in. But thank God he's obedient to do what God calls him to do. And that's why we're so proud to be here. The Church of America is filled with people who are attempting to use God to fulfill their own agenda. The thought of laying down their lives for others does not even cross their mind. They're trying to get all the benefits of the Christian life with the least amount of effort. And on the other hand, people who are truly in love with Jesus will do anything to please Him and follow His plan for their lives. And I want to be one of those people. When we choose to walk in disobedience, God is limited in what He can do through us. God does not force us to love Him. God does not force us to serve Him. We have a choice to make concerning our obedience, don't we? In other words, God may have to use another vessel to accomplish what He was attempting to get done through you. We are responsible to cooperate with God and fulfill His desires for our life and our destiny. The purpose of mankind being here on earth is to bring glory to God by building His kingdom, and it could be involving uh, getting others saved. It can involve teaching or serving or giving our resources, ministering to others in a multitude of different ways. But this is our responsibility, and someday we're going to give account on how we spent the approximately 692,000 hours that the average human being has on this earth. We'll give an account for it. And this life is only a training ground. It's only a proving ground or a testing period for something so much greater, so much bigger. For the true Christian, it means living a life of obedience in preparation for eternity with Him. The good news is that God will reward believers both in this life and at the future judgment of the believer when this life on earth is completed. God loves to reward. And we see in Scripture when God introduced Himself to Abraham, He said, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And the point is, God the Father loves to reward His children. Eileen and I have two amazing children, and as they were growing up, on occasion we would take time to reward them with something special when they made good decisions or right choices. And as parents, it would bring us great delight to see their eyes light up with gratitude and appreciation as we would reward them. Can you imagine the joy on our Heavenly Father's face when we make the right decisions? He's happy with us then. We bring joy to the Father when we are obedient. It's vitally important for us to walk in the destiny that God's called us to because there's rewards not only in this life. Yes, serving Him in this life as a Christian brings great rewards, great satisfaction. We can walk in the wonderful covenant that we have for healing and prosperity, direction, wisdom, so many things that God gives us. Helping others, satisfying our calling but there's also rewards in heaven. We don't want to lose our rewards or disappoint our Lord because we failed to accomplish His plan while we're on this earth. 
And if we look at the instructions that John gave in 2 John 8, we can see this clearly. He said, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. How many of you want to receive a full reward? I don't want a partial reward. I want a full reward for what God has for me. Think about it. That verse tells us that we can lose things that we've worked for. Imagine a farmer. Here we have a Nebraska farmer. He's plowing and tilling the ground. He's planting his seed. He's fertilizing and watering that seed, trying to bring his plants to full maturity, getting the weeds out, everything that a farmer has to do. And then a few weeks prior to the harvest, he becomes weary or gets distracted and he gives up and he abandons the entire crop because of neglect. What a waste of time. What a waste of money, labor, and resources. And yet so many inhabitants on this earth have done exactly that. They spend their lives working and toiling and building, but none of it in God's plan. None of it to fulfill the destiny that God had for them or to build up God's kingdom. And it's all lost. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.10 to better understand this. It says, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Here's a verse that most people like to skip over. If I had most of you come up here, show me your Bibles, you probably don't have that one highlighted in yellow and say, hey, that's my favorite verse of the Bible. That's one I read every day. But here's the truth. We believe all of God's Word, don't we, in this house. And as Christians, it's important to continually remind ourselves of this truth. Understand this. At the believer's judgment... Our sins will not be judged. For the blood of Jesus eradicated the sin issue and the eternal punishment of sin. There's another judgment coming for those that never accepted Jesus Christ and His plan for their life. That one's called the white throne judgment. That's reserved for those that went through this life and never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They never made Him Lord of their life. I'm not talking about the white throne judgment today. I'm talking about the judgment seat of Christ that's reserved for believers who've accepted Him as their Lord and Savior. It's not a judgment regarding sin. This is an event where all believers will stand before Jesus and give an account for how faithfully they lived for Him and served Him. Rewards will be given based on our obedience to the calling and the plan that God had for our lives. 1 Corinthians 3 explains this very clearly how the coming judgment of the believer works. We'll read that here. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. So it's very clear there that that's a judgment of the believer's works. Whether or not we obeyed God while we were on this earth. It's not a judgment regarding salvation. The Bible clearly says there'll be a day when each of us that are saved and make it to heaven will stand before Jesus and He'll reward us for specific things that we've accomplished in this life. And that's why I believe it's so important for each one of us to find out, starting now, what God has planned for our individual lives. Amen? Amen. Judy, you can come now or whoever's coming to the piano, please. Scripture tells us that our purpose of being created is to do good works but it also tells us that God prepared our destiny, the things that we're destined to accomplish in advance. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. That's amazing. God knew beforehand exactly, Ken and Sharon, he knew what you were to do on this earth. He had a plan for your life. Before you were born, he knew. How could you think that God didn't care for mankind when he's so specific that he actually developed a plan before you were born? Amazing. Regarding our personal assignments, we see they were given before we were born. Psalm 139.16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That should give a great answer to those that promote abortion. God had a plan while we were in our mother's womb, surely. That's right. He had a plan. And to snuff out a life before that life can even be born and start serving God to do what God called it to do is a sinful thing. And thank God we're on the road to, to change that. Amen. Amen. Our life's work was foreordained before we were formed in our mother's womb. All of us were set apart to do a specific work for God before we were born. Every day was ordained. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So the question is today that I'm asking you, will you fulfill what God planned for you? When God asks, who will I send or who shall I send and who will go? Will we say with Isaiah, here am I, send me, Lord? Or will we miss our assignment altogether? Will Jesus have to assign another person to accomplish what we failed to do? Everyone has a divine calling on him, his or her life. Each of us has an important part of the master plan of God's work. You know, I, I heard a pastor many times say in the past, one of the highest callings that a person can have is to the ministry, and he was talking about, you know, being the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, whatever. But I would take issue with that. Yes, it is a very high calling, and it's an honor. But the highest calling is doing what you are called to do and what I'm called to do, whatever that is. That's the highest calling to be in God's plan because not everyone is called to be in full-time ministry. Thank God or we wouldn't get anything done if that's all everyone did. There's so many areas that God can move in our lives and help us to achieve and call in. But our, you know, and so I don't take anything away from those that are in ministry, and if God's calling you to ministry and you ran from it, I ran from it for a while when I was in Bible college. I knew that God had called me into ministry, but I took a diversion and I went into the banking business and I was in banking for 17 years. But you know what? God used that, even though I was disobedient at the time, didn't move into what I should have maybe right at the time. He took me a longer trip, but he used what I learned, what I became, so that when I did obey and go into ministry, he redeemed it and used it and I was of value because of what I had done in the past. So he can take things and make it work. So don't ever think that because you disobeyed him in the past or you didn't do everything right, that he can't use it for good. He can take what we did as a mistake and use it for good. And someday when we get to heaven, it's all gonna be revealed and we'll see how that perfect master plan all worked out and all those intricate things, the associations you had, the favor that you had, the connections that you had, that God puts you in a certain place at a certain time to meet a certain person. Oh, I mean, it's just amazing. You're gonna see all that and we'll understand all that someday. Sometimes right now it's a little foggy to us, but here's the deal. We just step out in faith right now from here on and say, I'm gonna serve you, Lord. Even if I made a mistake in the past, I'm gonna go forward in you and you're gonna redeem the time and use me. So whatever days I have left on this earth, Lord, I want to be accountable and used and moldable by you and your will. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.
We're at the most exciting time in history for the Church of Jesus Christ. We talked about it a little bit last Wednesday night. Nothing can come our way that is beyond God's capacity to sustain us as we answer His call for our lives. If the times require strength, God will supply that through His grace. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we're ready for tomorrow because of our confidence is in the Lord. And as we take our place and we're serious about the individual destiny that God's called us to, if we all get in our place, we all start performing the way God intended. When I say performing, I, I'm saying stepping into his will, doing what he's asked us to do. If we all do that, that strengthens the church. How many of you know churches need to be strengthened all across America? Pastors need to be strengthened. And as we all step into our place, that just helps the whole thing work. And the truth is, the only person that can answer the call that's on your life is you. I can't answer it for you. Your neighbor can't answer it for you. You know, we all stand before God individually, don't we? And answer to Him. And maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Doug, I need to respond to this call. I haven't stepped out and done what I know the Lord has called me to do. Or maybe you say, Pastor Doug, I don't even know what the Lord's called me to do. I just know that I'm probably not there yet. And that's okay. Because first of all, you realize that there is something that needs to be corrected. You're like Isaiah. He, he realized, hey, I've sinned. I have unclean lips. So then he, he took the next step. He got fixed. So that's what we need to do. If we haven't gotten on track yet, then now's the time to do it. Get on track and start moving forward in God. And he'll show you one day at a time. You don't have to complete the whole plan in two days. You just take it hour by hour, day by day, and say, the Lord, show me. And if your heart's right, he'll show you. And if you ask, the Bible tells us we can receive. I don't know what God's called you to do. Maybe it's simply just start getting bold in your place of influence on your job or in your neighborhood. Maybe it's just sharing your light there. Maybe you're called to start your own business and prosper so that you can fund ministries across the world. Maybe God's calling you to enter the political arena, to influence legislation and start turning this country around. Maybe God's calling you to develop a new software because you're an IT expert and you want to assist churches and maybe God's given you witty ideas and inventions and you can do something that will help churches in the future. Maybe God's calling you as a high school student to start a Bible study club. Maybe you're being called to remove your children from public school and homeschool them. That's a sacrifice. That's a hard thing to do. But maybe God's saying it's time to influence your children and spend more time with them. I don't know. Possibly you attend this church. Maybe you're a member of this church, but you haven't gotten involved in anything. Ask Prayer would love to have more prayer teams. Every one of us can pray. You don't have to be some special, excellently trained prayer warrior. We'd love those. But Janet would agree. She's just willing to take someone that's willing to spend the time and we'll, we'll help you. We'll train you. There, there are things you need to know about prayer, praying the right way, but you can learn. It doesn't matter what age you are. And I'll say, I, I'm going to get bold here today too, and I'm going to say, thank you ladies for stepping up and being part of prayer here. And thank you to the men that do it, but we need more men to step up. Men, that it's powerful when you pray. And thank God, many of you are coming on Monday nights when Pastor Doji leads that, but we need men that are willing to take ask prayer groups, small groups, and pray for needs. 
So if you want to get involved in prayer, go to the information center and sign up for that and we'll, you, can, you can start anywhere. Maybe you need to lead a 242 home group, but you're not even attending one now. There's important things that happen in those small groups. You can't get to know everyone and have connections that you need just coming in on a Sunday morning and leaving again. So if you need to join a 242 group and God says, hey, I want you to host one, I want you to lead one, I want you to open your home so that others can be encouraged and have a place to come where they can have some closer relationships, then you can get on that track and get to the point where you can do that. There's so many things. Maybe you have technical skills and you're able to run a television camera or you're able to help with something in media. You can sign up for that. If you're a member here, you can get involved and plugged in. God wants us to be a house of servants, putting our hand forth to help. Only God knows your calling and your purpose. And my prayer today is that he will open our eyes and show us what our purpose is and that we'll step into our individual calling in our lives so that we accomplish exactly what God has us to do. Amen. So whenever the end comes for us, particularly as individuals, we'll have done our best to fulfill what God's purpose was in our life. Amen? Why don't you stand with me now? And I'm going to do this the same way that I did in first service this morning. There might be someone here and you say, Pastor Doug, you're talking to me today. You stepped on my toes. I should have worn my steel-toed shoes. Should have worn my steel-toed shoes because you stepped on my toes today. And that's okay. You know what? We all need to have our toes stepped on once in a while, don't we? And if it's okay, if it's from the Word, right? I'd rather, you know, I always, my wife and I talk about it. I'd rather receive correction on this earth and get it, get my life turned, Mark, now rather than wait someday to get to heaven and, and have the Lord rebuke us right. and say, you That's didn't right. do what I called you to do. Right. I would rather be rebuked right now yes. and make the change, do the 180, whatever it takes, Lord. That's what we want to do. We want to be molded for your purpose. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads today with me. And if you say, that's me, Pastor Doug, I haven't been following God and I want to make that change today, I'm not going to call you forward. I'm just going to let you do it at your seat. Or maybe you're saying, you know what? I've been trying to be a good steward of what God's given me, but I haven't really focused on it. I haven't really asked God to show me. I haven't spent time in prayer and I need to get it right. I need to know 100% that I'm on the right track and I want God to show me. Maybe you're in one of those two positions or you just say, my heart is that I want to be tender to God and I want to serve Him all the days of my life and I want to please God. If that's you today, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. I'm the one that will see it. God sees it. He sees your heart. There's hands all over this auditorium. And I thank you for that. Just keep your hand up for a minute there. Anyone else want to raise your hand today and say, Pastor Doug, pray for me so that my life can count for God. Okay, you can put your hands down. Thank you so much, every one of you. Father, in Jesus' name, you saw those hands, and I thank you today for these that raised their hands here, those that are watching from home that raised their hands in the privacy of their own home or their hotel room or their car. Hopefully they didn't take their hands off the steering wheel too long, Lord, but if they did, protect them. And I thank you, Lord, that you... Show us right now as we ask. You told us if we ask, we can receive. And when we ask the Father, He doesn't give us a stone when we need bread. He gives us exactly what we need. So Father, we come to you today, and I thank you for meeting needs today. I thank you for showing each individual what they are to do, how they are to proceed, where they are to go. And you tell us in your word that the steps of the obedient are ordered by you. So, we say, Lord, order our steps. Clearly show us what you would want us to do. Thank you for divine connections. Thank you for favor in my life. Thank you, Lord, that you open doors that no man can open. I thank you, Lord, that you're giving finances to those that need finances so they can accomplish the vision that you've given them to accomplish. I thank you, Lord, that you give them every connection 
every bit of wisdom that they need. And thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, we give you glory. And everyone here that agreed said, Amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, I'm going to ask our altar team to come, if you would, now. And if someone still would like individual prayer at the conclusion of the service today, our altar team will be available up here to help you, pray with you, and agree with you. The prayer of agreement is important, and uh, I want to make sure that you have that available if you need that today. Also, one more thing. Maybe there's someone here, and you say, Pastor Doug, I've never really made a decision to have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't want you to leave today. I don't want you to turn off whatever you're watching today until you make that decision because that's the starting point. That's the first place. You can't start walking out in obedience to God, anything that he has planned for your life until you experience what the Bible calls the new birth. And that's where we give Jesus Christ the opportunity to become the Lord of our life. We repent of our sin and ask him into our heart. And that starts with a prayer and it's just the initial step. But then you plug in and start to become faithful to what God's called us to do, amen? So let's do that today before we go any further. I wanna pray for anyone under the sound of my voice and you say, Pastor Doug, I'm not 100% sure I'd make it to heaven if I left this earth. I wanna make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Let's just repeat after me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to be my savior. Thank you that he died on the cross of Calvary. He was buried and he rose on the third day. I ask you, Lord, please forgive my sin. I repent. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and make me new. I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.